It's great to see all of you this morning. Um, I hope none of you are surprised they invited me back for a second week, uh, but I'm glad to be here uh, and have the opportunity to preach to you fine people. Our text uh, this morning is, of course, from the book of Philippians, and uh, I got to tell you, it uh, it contains, and I'm not really going to be preaching on just one verse because it's my favorite verse in all of Scripture, uh, but hear the Word of God as I begin with verse 6 down through verse 11. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. Let us all respond together. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we examine really this verse 6, I would pray that you would just put it into our hearts into our minds, into our lives in such a way that we could experience it so that we can live it confident, confident of this, that he who began a good work in us will carry it unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, last night I was trying to relax to go to bed, and uh, sometimes I read uh, westerns, you know, cowboy books. I hope that doesn't lower your esteem of me a, a great deal. But this particular story is about four men that have gone in to Mexico to rescue these four children that have been kidnapped. And they have got the children, and they're now fleeing with the children and fleeing back towards the border and uh, they're outrunning those that are chasing them. But unfortunately, um, they run into a box canyon. Now, that's where I got last night. I went to sleep after that. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. But I hope somebody sh shows up to rescue them. That's what I think is going to happen. They're going to need help. You ever find that in your own life? You get to a place in your life and you think, if God doesn't show up, I've got a problem here. I need him. I suppose we all come to that place from time to time. If God doesn't show up, I'm in trouble. This is going to be a train wreck. Well, the truth is, and that's what our verse is all about today, he has already showed up. You don't have to worry about it. You can be confident of this. He showed up. He began a good work in you, right? Isn't that what the text says right there? You haven't fallen through the cracks. 
God hasn't forgotten you. He's not fallen asleep in relationship to your life. He is at work. He's at work. Uh, this past uh, week, we were going to the mall to do something, and uh, I don't like to go on the interstate, and I decided I wouldn't go on uh, Buford Highway either. We would take these shortcuts, you know, through the, the, this neighborhood. Uh, and just when we got in there where it was impossible to back up, there was a sign, men at work, you know. Uh, and I thought, oh, boy. And it turned out they were tearing up the whole road. And they were doing such a job there, they didn't have just a flag person on one end and the other end. They had to have three flag people. They had one on each end and one in the middle. And I thought, we're never going to get there in time because we had a time constraint. Well, God was good and, and everything was going in our direction at the time we came and we made it. But, you know, I don't like to see those signs, men at work because it always means there's going to be some kind of problem. But God, he puts a sign over you, I'm at work. It's not a problem. He's continued at work. He started a good work, and he will continue that work. So the first thing that I want you to see is that God has a plan. A plan that he has started, he's carried on, and he will bring to completion. You know, we make plans, and when we make plans, we determine a need, and after we determine a need, we picture a solution. After the solution, then we make plans, steps, of how we can solve that problem and that uh, with the solution. We may even assess threats and so on, uh, and if it's a really good plan, we may even have alternative plans just in case the original plan doesn't work out. But we never know how our plans are going to work out. We never know which way they're going to go. Frankly, we never know if we're going to be successful or not. But God's plans are never thwarted. God's plans are always perfect. In fact, his plan is a plan that was created before the foundation of the world. You see, God transcends time, and so he's not constrained by that. There's a sense in which God's plans don't even have a beginning and an end. They're just God's plans. Complete. The end and the beginning and the end are all, in a sense, one in our lives. We could be confident of that. That God's plan for my life is a perfect plan. When I was graduating from high school, I had a friend, his name was Tim Deal. In fact, he became a PCA pastor. He, he, he had the first PCA church in the state of Minnesota. Uh, and on the last day of our senior year, you know, you get that book called the, the annual and, uh, you go around and you get, you hope you got some friends that'll sign it and so on. So years later, you can look at, see what they had to say and so on. Uh, uh really, I, if you've ever looked at it, they don't have much to say, do they? <laughs> Tim signed every one of them the same. I don't know what the future holds, but I do know hold, who holds the future. Every single one of them. I was looking at it not so long ago, and there was Tim's um, phrase there for me, reminding me of something way back in high school. But do you believe that? You don't know what the future holds, but you're absolutely confident in the one who holds the future, that this plan for your life is a perfect plan. It cannot, it cannot be thwarted. It cannot be stopped. What he started, he will continue. 
And I think embedded in this verse is the idea of assurance of our salvation. Because in some ways, the plan begins with our salvation. Now, of course, it has to begin before that or we wouldn't even exist. But I'm talking in relationship to God. It begins with the day that we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And there is a doctrine which we call the assurance of of salvation, eternal security, perseverance of the saints. Why can we be confident about this? Well, because God saves You know, Charles Hodge said that you can sum up all of Presbyterian, or if you don't like that word, Reformed uh, theology in just two words, God saves. Now, I don't want to scare you with a bunch of theology and so on, but that's, that's important. That really is important. What was he trying to say? With two words, you can sum up all of doctrine, all of systematic theology with two words, God saves. What he was trying to say is God really saves. God saves you, and you don't have to worry about it because he is the one who's active in your salvation. I'm going to give you a little lesson here in Reformed theology or Presbyterian theology. You know, we're told that we we believe these five things. The first thing we're told we believe is that we believe in total depravity. Well, not really. What we really believe in is total inability. You and I do not have the ability to come to God, uh, to move towards God, to find God. God has to save us. And uh, there is nothing good in us that draws God out, that draws his love for us, his saving grace for us. God comes to those who can't save themselves. It's as simple as that. And we're told we believe in unconditional election. Well, not really. Uh, God may have... A hundred conditions. I don't know. It's just that none of those conditions are in you. God doesn't look down and say, I wonder now, does this person have enough of this or that? No. Whatever conditions God has, if he has any conditions at all, they're in him. That's what that means. And we're told we believe in limited atonement, but of course we don't believe in that at all. Because, well, we do. We believe that the atonement is big enough to save everybody. But what we do believe is that when Christ came into this world, he came in with your name on his lips. He came, and he knew who he came for. We we had it in our uh, declaration of truth this morning. It was right there. We're told we believe in irresistible grace. Well, not exactly. What we believe in is effectual grace. That if God comes to you and puts his hand on you, you're going to change. Whatever God decides to do in your life, it will come to pass. That's really what our text is about this morning in the first place. And finally, we're told we believe in perseverance of the saints. Well, not really. What we believe in is perseverance of the Savior. I want you to hear that perseverance of the Savior. It's not that you are going to hang on and hang on to the end. No, Jesus is going to hang on to you and hang on to you to the end. You see that? Now, do you get what Hodge was saying? You can sum up all of doctrine, all of theology in two words, God saves. 
because he really, really does. And so there's a sense in which you don't have to worry about it because you can be confident, confident in your salvation that what God started in your life, he will carry unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He has a plan for your life, and that plan is already a reality. Why? Because he is the creator, God. You know, when I went to Covenant Seminary, uh, I was invited to come there to be the president. Uh, nobody is more surprised than me about that, I'll be honest with you, although some of my friends seem to be just as surprised. <laughs> but I, I went to talk to a few of my friends before I went. I said, you know, I've been offered this job. Do you think I should take it? There were seven of them, to be exact. And they said, no, no. And they gave me all the reasons why I, couldn't, I shouldn't go there. This was not going to work. This was going to be a train wreck. They, were, they, they lacked just about everything you need to have a successful seminary. Let's see. They had a problem uh, with professors. They had a problem with students. They had a problem with money. Other than that, they had everything they needed. <laughs> and so we prayed about it. And we decided God wanted us to go. We did not decide that we would be successful. You see, that's the difference. You can say, well, God's going to do a big thing here. No, God says, you be obedient. I will take care of the outcome. And I remember praying that very prayer, God, you had better show up. Because I don't think these people know what they're doing and if they do know what they're doing, I don't know what I'm doing. And we need your help here. We went because we were confident in God, not because we were confident in ourselves, nor because we were confident in the outcome. You see that? And that's the way we live our life. That's what this text is really saying to us. God has a plan. You don't know what that plan is, but it is a perfect plan no matter how it turns out. Paul has no doubt about this. If you look at verse 7, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Now, the word heart in the Bible is ex exceedingly important. It's important, so important, that it appears over 800 times in the Bible. And it is not this muscle in your chest that is pumping blood. Your heart is actually who you are. It's where all that makes up your being comes together. Your mind, you know, your emotions, uh, everything that's going on in your life, it all comes together, and that's who you are. That's your heart. That's the core of your being. And Paul can say, I'm absolutely confident that what God is doing in the life of you Philippians, I, I'm totally confident that because I hold it in my heart. In other words... It has captured me. It has captured all of me. And why could Paul say that? Why would Paul say, this confidence is the thing that grips my life completely? Well, because back in verse 6, he tells us who it is that he's confident in. I am, uh, I am sure of this, that he, he who has begun a work in you. Actually, in the original, it says the one and I kind of like that translation, the one, the one and only God. 
The three-in-one God, he is the one who's begun this work in you. And that's why he can have this um, confidence, this promise in your destiny, this destiny that's not up for grabs. You know, last week I kind of reminded you of Paul's conversion. I think about it a lot. Maybe you do too, because it's the most unlikely conversion of all time. Paul never forgot that. Paul was blown away by the fact that he didn't save himself, but God saved him. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15.9, he says, I'm the least of the apostles. In Ephesians 3.8, he says, I'm the least of all the saints. And in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, I'm the chief of all sinners. Now, that's a progression because 1 Corinthians was written before Ephesians. Ephesians was written before 1 Timothy and you see that progression? You know, look, I'm the least of the apostles. No, no, I'm worse than that. I'm the least of all the saints. No, no, I'm worse than that. I'm the chief of all sinners. The closer he got to God, the more he saw God working in his life, the more God's plan was unfolding in his life, the more he realized it's not me, it's God. God's at work. God is the one who is bringing this about. He is the one that met me on that road to Damascus, and he has not failed me, and he continues this work. Now, I want you to see something. All conversions are like that. I know that you didn't get struck down by lightning on the road to Damascus. You may be like me. You've never known a time when you weren't a believer. A lot of that had to do with a blessed mother who just loved the Lord and read her Bible all the time and prayed for myself and for my brother. But our conversion is still just as dramatic as Paul's. Yours is just as dramatic as Paul's because you shouldn't be a Christian. There was nothing in you. There was nothing worthy about you. You weren't looking for God. God was looking for you no matter how it seems to you. What I'm trying to say is I want you to see that the closest thing you're ever going to get to a real miracle is your own salvation, your own faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard the poem by Francis Thompson? It's called The Hound of Heaven. The Hound of Heaven. He wrote it in 1890. And the poem goes like this. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth of ways of my own mind. I fled from him, and under running up vistaed hopes I sped, and shot precipitated down titanic glooms of, of chasmid fears from those strong feet, those feet that followed, that followed after. But with unhurried chase, unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat and a voice beat more instant than the feet, all things betray thee who betrayest me. I hope you like that, because I like it. Think about it. <clears throat> Francis Thompson says, God is like a bloodhound, and he's got your scent. And you can run and run and run and run, but he will keep coming, and he won't give up. Until he has you. All things betray you who betrayest me. Your scent betrays you and I will find you. 
I like that because I think Francis Thompson got it right. No matter what your conversion looks like, God came and found you. God saved you. God was pursuing a rebel, and he captured your heart by faith. Remember again, I commented about C.S. Lewis last week uh, and his conversion. His, he has a whole book on his conversion called Surprised by Joy. And in that book, he says, Never was there in all of England a more dejected, reluctant convert than me. God found him, and he understood that. And then as you look at this verse, notice that it's an ongoing thing. What he began, he will continue until it is completed. God is shaping you and molding you. Maybe some of you think, I ought to be here when I'm here. And I would say to you, you're here because God wants you here. If he wanted you here, he'd be up here. Now, that doesn't mean you ought to stay here because God's going to keep working on you, right? But you need to see that. You need to see that God really does have a plan, and it's a continuing plan. Um, you know, when, when Sandy and I uh, got married, um, we even joked about the fact that uh, she'd been married 46 years, I'd been 40, married 44 years. You add that up, that's 90 years, 90 years of marriage. This is going to be a piece of cake. Well, it didn't turn out that way because uh, I thought, you know, I had habits and all after 44 years. And so I thought Sandy had to do certain things certain ways. And uh, finally, I decided that uh, if I wasn't going to make a mess of this uh, marriage, I'd better get some counseling. So I went to the meanest counselor I know. Uh, I had sent uh, several missionaries uh, to this, to this uh, lady and uh, so I went there, and this is what she told me. God must really love you. Because that first marriage it didn't knock off all the rough uh, edges on your life, you know. And, and you need to have one more marriage uh, to, to kind of smooth things out a little bit. Now, you know what? I didn't like hearing that. But it was true. It was true. God wasn't through with me yet. You see that? God was going to continue his work. I had a friend, that, uh, his name was Newton Wilson. I wrote a book with him, but he, at one time he was president of Bellhaven College. He used to like to say that life is like this. You're in a dark cave, and you're trying to figure out where you ought to go, and you look around and you see some light, and you go over there, and you see if, in fact, the hole's big enough to get out of. If it's not, then you start looking around for more light. But But you know that God's at work, so you just keep moving to see what God is going to do, and our life is sort of like that. Sometimes our life makes sense. Um, sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes our life is wonderful. Sometimes it's not so wonderful. But God's at work. God is at work. And uh, we'll see when we get to the fourth chapter of Philippians, he can say, rejoice in the Lord always. And I don't want to st- steal the thunder for that sermon, but I want you to see that word always. Have you ever thought about that? Rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, Aren't there some things where you just shouldn't be rejoicing? Well, of course not. And finally, this text would say to us, he carries on this completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, what is that? That's when Jesus is coming back. I hope you have an expectation of Jesus coming back because it will make a difference for your day now and Monday and Tuesday of this week and so on. 
as you anticipate the fact that Christ is coming back, it, it changes everything in relationship to the plan He has for you right now. Whatever He is doing in your life right now, it relates to eternity. It relates to that time when His work in your life will bring absolute perfection. Uh, you need to see that His second coming is connected to His first coming. When He came the first time, He came so that He could die for us. He came so He could pay the penalty, so that we could be right with God. And in many ways, we could start this journey this journey of what he started, he will bring to completion. But that first coming, bringing salvation, is connected to that second coming when everything will be made right, when everything will be made whole, when everything will be made perfect. And, and that changed Paul's life completely. And we're going to see in the, in the, in the 13th verse of this first chapter that, that, uh, Paul says, uh, this prison uh, situation that I'm in is good because the gospel is going forward. In, in verse 15, he says, even the imperial guard is hearing the gospel and some of them are being converted. Why would, why would Paul have that kind of an attitude? I mean, it can't be nice to be in prison. That's not the place where he wants to be. And yet he can look and say, look, this is God's perfect plan because it's, it's connected with eternity. It's connected when God comes again, I mean, when Christ comes again, and some of these imperial guards are going to be in heaven with Paul because Paul was put in prison. You know, as you look at your own life, uh, whatever he's doing, God is working. It's, he's, you're not just muddling through this life, not at all, not at all. You know, I remember when my mother passed away, she was only 46 years old. And that was hard. That was really hard for us, especially my brother and me, because she was so important to us. But God gave us a real sense of uh, the fact that God was even in work at this. Um, there were several people that seemed to come to faith even during those long weeks that she was in the hospital before she passed away. And I got cards from people afterwards uh, that uh, talked about what a difference she made in their life. God was at work. God was at work in that hospital. God was work in Paul's prison. I don't know where you are in your life. Maybe you're at a dead-end job or something like that. God's still at work, and, and he's doing something. You don't know what he's doing even maybe, but God is doing something. We need a view of heaven that what he started, he will finish until the day of Christ Jesus. We had an African student at, at uh, um, Covenant Seminary who preached uh, his senior sermon on heaven. And I'll never, I don't remember much about the sermon, but I remember these words. You know, I've been here for five years. Six, some people, a long time to get through seminary. Uh, I've been here five years, and uh, I've never heard a sermon on heaven. Uh, where I come from, we preach on heaven all the time. Maybe you people in America just don't need heaven. And I thought, wow, what an indictment. We need to see that what God started, he will finish until the day when Christ comes again.
I was reading from a magazine my wife gets called The Voice of the Martyrs this week. And there's a story in there about a, a woman named Ruth. Ruth lives in southern Mexico where it's not easy to be a Christian, where Christians are really persecuted. Ruth, when she was eight years old, she started going with her father out into villages, delivering the few Bibles they could collect and so on. Then her father passed away, and, and she became the superintendent of the Sunday school when she was 10 years old. And she had that job until she was 20 years old. And then she said, I'm going to start doing what Dad did again, so I'm going to collect Bibles wherever I can. I'm going to go out in the villages, and I'm going to distribute these, these Bibles. So she began to do that under great persecution from both communists and the church. It's, in southern Mexico, the church is kind of a hybrid Catholic animistic church. Um, they don't just worship Christ. They worship rocks and all other kinds of things like that. Uh, and, and they literally hate Christians. And so it was with great persecution she began to do that. And then five years later, she met her husband, and he had the same vision she had, so they started doing it together. Uh, they got married. They had two children. And then in 2017, they were kidnapped uh, by some communists who wanted them to stop going into the villages and preaching the gospel and delivering, um, delivering Bibles. Their clothes were saturated with gasoline. Their daughter was fortunately staying with some other people, so it was just her, her husband, and her son. But they soaked them in gasoline, and then they went to light the fire, but they couldn't get the big lighter to work. And so in disgust, they just threw a few more rocks at them, and they just left them there. And they were injured pretty badly. And the voice of the martyrs came to them and said, look, it is dangerous, and you have a family, and, and while we help people like you to distribute Bibles and we can get Bibles for you and so on, we would recommend that you get out of here, that we will move you to somewhere else. And this is what she said. No, 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 God called us here so we won't run. In fact, we will double down. And that's just what they did. Since that time, they've planted 100 churches and 50 outreach missions. But you notice what she said? No, we won't run. Why? Because God is at work. God is at work. I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work will carry it unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus, even if that means that we're martyred here in southern Mexico. Do you have that kind of faith? You can because it's right in the Bible. That verse was not written simply so Paul could come for himself. That verse was not written simply for Ruth in southern Mexico. That verse was written for every one of us, no matter where we are in our lives. Do you see that? See, I call this verse my good morning verse. I saved this for the last. I call it my good morning verse for this reason. There are times when I get up and I think, whoa, you know, there is a lot on the plate, and some of that doesn't look like it's going in the right direction. So maybe I should just pull the covers back over my head and, and uh, forget this day, you know, maybe skip a day. No, I'm confident this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
If you're not a Christian, this is a day to receive the Lord Jesus Christ and let that work begin in you today. And if you are a believer, then like Paul, rejoice that you have absolute confidence that what he began, he will carry unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that we can have this confidence. We have it because we believe in you. And we can trust you. And what you say is absolutely true. As we say uh, when we read the scriptures, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We believe that that's true about this verse. We are confident, God, that what you began in our life, you will carry unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let that be our good morning verse, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.